Welcome to this week's episode of Exceptional People. This week's guest is former AFL footballer and now mental health awareness crusader Lance Piccioni. As CEO and co-founder of a youth-focused non-profit organization called Love Me, Love You, Lance and his team are on a mission to improve the health and mental well-being outcomes of young Australians. Lance was kind enough to take time out from his busy schedule and come in for a chat while preparing for the Love Me, Love You Foundation's March With Me 2017. Please enjoy. Lance Piccioni, welcome. Thanks, Sam. Thanks Th- for having me. That's a pleasure. I have a former AFL footballer. Thanks for having me. I always wanted to ask that. Did you guys do that in media training? Is there, is there the booklet that actually says the first thing you say when you go <laughs> on sports today is to say thanks for having me. I'm glad I got an AFL footballer. And please explain that to me today. <laughs> nah, not media training, more family training. Yes. It's the appreciation of being had somewhere, especially uh, on, your own, on, your, on your show. And then the gratitude that I need to show to, you know, reaching out to me to say, you know, you're a part of it. You drafted in 1997 to play AFL yep. uh, by, by Adelaide. Again, as a young kid going in, are you sat down? Are you told certain things the way you should behave? When you first arrived to the club, there's there's an element of that. This is 20 years ago, so obviously yeah. the systems have changed a hell of a lot. Mm. But throughout sort of you, you, in the lead up to it, that's where you get a lot of sort of um, understanding of what's expected of you. They don't look at just drafting a footballer, especially back then as well. They don't try, look just drafting a footballer. They're trying to look at all-round person and how they behave and what they're doing at school and social aspects and the, the complete package of what it is. Yes. And then you go to the club and... You've gone from being the big fish in small bowl in the juniors to like really small fish yes. to in this big sort of big ocean. And it's, you sat down, but you sort of just got to learn along the way and, and you sort of try to tie yourself onto the, the leaders of the club. Um, you know, and I went to Adelaide Crows and that was a two team town, you know, it's a small country town, you know, mm. that's the city, it's, yes. it's a small country town and how it works. But, you know, I was able to play and they just come off a premiership when I went there. So it was like the best thing in the world. Yes. I'd go into a premiership club. And you now I had Andrew McLeod and Mark Rusciuto and, you know, Sean Rand. And like these guys are, you know, legends of the game. Mm-hmm. So did they be in a change room next to them? You're thinking, this is not too bad. So did they embrace the draftees? Being involved at football clubs these days, yeah, and back then, is you're there together. And as soon as you walk through the club, you've got to earn their respect and the trust on the through the playing field. But you do that through your actions, obviously straight up. Mm. Um, you know the 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 bad fish. They sort of you know, they weed them out a fair bit over the, over the journey. Um, but they, the the leaders of the club understand that you've been drafted to the club for a reason, um, and they put the trust in the recruiting guys and the management at the football club to make sure that they're bringing in the right people. So my first couple of years at Adelaide, I probably. Didn't go about it the right way okay. in terms of what a professional footballer was needed to, to do. Mm-hmm. But I was maybe probably thinking I was a bit more ahead of where I was. Yes. Yeah. So, and that took, that cost me my, well, probably a lot of games at Adelaide. Okay. Um, until the realisation came through too, too late a little bit with the hard work that was needed, not just on field and while you're at training, but off the field. So did, were there someone at the club trying to pull you up while you were at Adelaide because you spent a couple of years there? Yeah, there was. By the time that it had sort of been realised, it was too late in that first year. Right. But then in my second year, I had like a brilliant year playing at um, Glenelgan, SNFL, so the reserves. Um, but just how football clubs are with politics and making sure that you're, you, know, you are doing the right thing, you've got to earn that trust back. So I probably lost the trust 
from the football club a little bit mm -hmm. um, and the players and the coaching staff. Um, but then I had to earn that back. And by the end of the second year, I'd earned that trust back. Yes. But it just didn't happen. That's okay. And so I had to move forward. How do they give you the news? It's obvious. It was, is it different now compared to, say, uh, 20 years ago when you are still only young, 19 years old at the yeah, time? Yeah, 19, 19. when I was in Adelaide. But I am... Um, they offered me another contract to stay on because I'd obviously earned that trust back and I was yes. performing at a level that was required. Yep. But then I said, no, nah, I can't be dealing with this anymore. I don't want to go on the hope that something might be okay, mm. uh, even though that I'd earned that trust back and mm. put my trust back in myself that I'd earned uh, through my hard work. Mm. I wanted to get back home and I okay. wanted to be with my family yes. and I wanted to be around my, my friend network and the people that I grew up with and meant so much to me and enjoy the experience of being an AFL footballer with them. Mm. Um, so I just said to him, I said, um, uh, you can keep your contract. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, and just organise organize for me to get back to Melbourne. So was there someone already interested in you to give you confidence to tell Adelaide to stick it or uh, was that something? I'd had interest... At the end of my first year, yeah. So a lot of the Victorian clubs, I had about four, four or five of the clubs, ring us or ring my management and say, yeah. uh, "Can we organise a trade for him to get back?" Obviously, it's not working out. Mm. Um, can we get him back? And so I had sort of a bit of faith that something was going to happen. Mm. Um, and, but I put myself out there, and uh, if it hadn't have come to fruition, a, a trade, you know, I would have st stuck around for another year and seen right. how it went. But um, it fortunately sort of went through, and I had a really good relationship with the recruiting manager at uh, Hawthorne at the time. Mm -hmm. just from juniors from being in junior system being at sort of playing state level and being at the top of the game the junior level um, I had a good relationship with a lot of the recruiting guys mm. uh, at all from all the clubs uh, and then he just said yeah let's let's get get you here you know we're, we're moving in a different direction with the football club they'd sort of had a couple of lower years at Hawthorne in the late late 90s something that they weren't used to for a, for a long time mm -hmm. and um, you know there was that was sort of around the same time that Luke Hodges and Sam Mitchells and these guys was sort of coming into the club after that. So it was exciting. It was exciting to get back and be around family, which is, you know, for me, family's king. So it was good to get back. So your years in Adelaide, um, you, you obviously your your issues, uh, your mental issues are quite uh, public. You've got your own foundation, Love Me, Love You found Mental Health Foundation. Is that things that you started to feel that you're having issues before you got drafted for Adelaide or think, during or when? When we, if we track it back, there were certainly issues before I got drafted. Mm. Um, there's certain issues, more challenges that I was mm -hmm. not dealing with um, around anxiety and how that played a factor in my life in terms of my ability to do just at school, yep. um, socially uh, and my sports, the thing that sort of got me through life. And then going to Adelaide, obviously taking away that support system that I had that kept me in check kept me in line mm. that sense of freedom just sort of went a bit too far and then sort of so the anxieties around being away from my family was pretty bad um so i acted out and you know drank a lot and yep. doing the wrong just doing the wrong things that putting me in a positive you know positive sort of um, state of mind or ability to do then when i come back and had a couple of good years and i was all good at Hawthorne. Yep. And then it's sort of a lot of injuries and expectations weren't going the way that I should have been doing just, just through injuries. And it was costing me sort of continuity in my footy. Mm -hmm. And that affected me big time off field. Um, and I started sort of drinking again a fair bit, binge drinking on weekends and doing and just doing the wrong things for a professional footballer. And then just 2000, into 2003, it started getting really bad. And depression was 
you know, coming a big part of my life. At the same time, undiagnosed at the time, you just think it's the pressures and expectations and that's how people deal with life and that's what you get through. But tracking back, would I have done things differently? 100%. Mm. What I was spoken about it earlier, 100%. But you didn't know. Mm. Didn't know what it was. So around the, the education or the information around what yes. something could possibly be, you don't know what something is unless you know about it. Yes, you know what I mean? Course, like yeah. Especially around mental health. So, And that interpretation of how it was affecting me, I thought it was just a normal thing, which it is normal. You know, yeah. it's normal for a lot of people that they're going through. So, and then had a few off-field incidences at Hawthorne in 2004. And then new coach come in and said, see you later. You know, you're not sort of the person that we need at this club moving forward, which hit me pretty hard, mm-hmm. like really, really hard. But I said, you know, okay, well, what can we do moving forward? And so they try to organise trades and stuff and clubs weren't sort of taking part of it. So I was sort of left in limbo a fair bit. And then uh, the coach, uh, Donald McDonald, who was assistant coach at Hawthorne, he went to North Melbourne that following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of said, you know, come down and train for the pre-season. So I got picked up for the pre-season draft, which was, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, thinking that it was all good. Mm-hmm. But my head state was too far gone in terms of my ability to want to be positive and want to be good and want mm. to be happy. I wasn't putting in the effort that I needed to to be to get best out of myself. While you're having these anxiety uh, struggles, was there something that actually you say to yourself, this is not right? Because earlier you said this is this is just life. Hmm. But was there a point where you said this is not right? This is not the way not, it should be? Not when I was playing footy. No, 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 it didn't come for a long time. So post-footy, so 2004, I only spent one year at North. Then I was done. I had, you know, didn't, I had a bit of a fallout with the coach, Dean Lady, at the time. And my off-field actions weren't sort of falling into line with what I should be doing moving, you know, as a as a footballer. You know, for you know a dream that you know a lot of young kids and have to mm. be a footballer. But what I needed to do because it was my dream to be a footballer, and I was living that dream. But I wasn't putting the things in place to make sure that my dream was keeping keeping being a reality. Yep. So I spent that one year at North, and then that was done, and then. It was just the most emotional time of who am I, what am I doing? And so then I started partying a fair bit and mm. trying to escape the normal everyday reality that was. And um, cause it, so that didn't sink in for 12 months, I reckon. Right, okay. Yeah, and then, but it was too far gone. And it came a point five years after that that I said, oh, this is not, this is not the way it should be. So what do you do uh, at that five-year point? Do you actually speak up? Do you look for some counselling? Had things changed in the way society has uh, accepted or taken note of uh, these things? Uh, there's a lot more sort of, what do you call awareness around it? Yes. Understanding of the issues that are going on with people in terms of around the mental health umbrella that we talk about. But a lot of things had changed in my life. Like I had a pretty serious knee injury mm-hmm. that took away my f- footy again. So it was just another incident that was just saying, well, what are you doing here? But, you know, I started seeing my now wife at the time, which was sort of keeping me in check a little bit, but I was still not in a position myself of doing the right things and because and I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything properly social, um, wasn't putting anything in positive in my life apart from mm. um, Emma at the time. So, you know, and that sort of took its toll a little bit and took a put a bit of strain on the relationship and where it was and but it got to that point when I was I remember I was, I was 31 years old and I was just like all right this is not where life is mm. and what am I doing about it it was a conversation I had with Emma 
Mm. She goes, well, this is not the person that I've, I've fallen in love with. And, yes. you know, what are we going to do about it? So yeah, it was just that from that first conversation and the weight was lifted. That someone else had recognised what yes. was going on. Because I was hanging around a lot of people that were probably going through the same thing. So they're okay. sort of blinded to the situation of going, well, I didn't know you were, you know, didn't know you had depression or didn't know you had anxiety or didn't know you had issues going on because they were probably going through the same thing. So that conversation and then we put a plan in place and I rang the my doctor that I had a great relationship with for a period, fair period of time who sort of kept me in check a little bit and was honest with me and how it could work. And uh, yeah, and then the rest is history. So it took... Uh, a conversation with your now wife to make you realise that this isn't normal, this is something that we can assist. Because one of the questions was, was there anyone at Clubland that uh, could have assisted you at the time? But if the situation, you weren't aware of it or, or maybe they weren't even educated to it, how, yep. how are they going to help someone? Yeah, we, we had a great guy, um, Simon Lloyd, who was at Hawthorne when I was there. He was the sort of psychologist, well, mm. welfare guy. Mm. And he was great. And actually... A lot of the conversations that I had with him were just around just the challenges that were being a footballer and, you know, like, I, you know, so many times that I wanted to just give up and had enough of football. I wanted to be away from it and just wanted to be a normal person. But just that there wasn't so much conversations around a mental illness or a mental health issue. So, and that, but that also comes from, obviously you say the interpretation that I had myself of what was happening. If you can't interpret it yourself a little bit, it's really hard for other people to yep. say what's going on. Mm. So that took a fair bit of courage from Emma to also say something about it, uh, which sort of then that giving, having that acknowledgement from somebody else that, you know, I loved and cared for, that sort of helped me go, okay, well, something's going on here and this is not who I am. This is not what I should be doing in life and how I'm going about it. So and that conversation has helped so much and, and that's usually the, the step that people need. A lot of people go through these challenges with mental, their mental illness that they're not acknowledged for what the causes are. And, and sometimes just a little bit of a penny needs to drop with yourself to say, okay, well, this is not right. Um, what am I going to do about it? But a lot of people don't have that penny drop and they go through it forever um, and they don't seek help and they don't talk about it and they shut it all out and um, try to move forward. But as we know, if you don't deal with something, you don't, change something so with what your foundation love me love you you were speaking in regards to the fundraising side of things and what you're trying to raise money for presently uh, something like a welfare officer to go into clubs is there with someone that goes into a club and just discusses the issue not necessarily because anyone is has anything in particular but if they bring something up someone might be listening thinking oh maybe yeah yeah, and, yeah and that's yeah, where yeah, it time. could help so Many the, years before. Yeah. So the organisation, we we the whole awareness thing is pretty it's pretty key to people moving forward mm. and acknowledging and accepting the fact that they might have an issue themselves. Mm. And it might not be until someone's had the conversation in a public forum right. or ability that way that they then recognise, oh, okay, I might something might not be right here. I need some I need some help. I need to talk about it. What am I going to do moving forward? So, and it, love me, love you. All our stuffs. It's 
it's real. Like it's not the the fluffy stuff that you can get with the arena stuff. It's you know it's all about lived experience. We we have a, myself and other facilitators that talk about their own experiences with it. You know, my mental illness, depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, whatever mood disorders, whatever they're going along there, um, addictions, alcohol, alcoholism, um, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, suicidal yeah. preventions. It's it's a whole range of stuff, and it's all lived experience, and that's why we have such good connection to the public. And because we don't fluff it, it's a conversation that needs to be smacked in the face. Mm. Um, and time, sometimes it takes that smack in the face for someone to say, okay, I, I, what's going on here? Um, so, you know, our, our work at the sports clubs that we do is, and we do it, we have a high concentration on that sports clubs everywhere. If they want us, we don't sort of force it on people to have the, have the presentations or the um, engagement with us is because sports clubs are such a community hub and so many people are connected to sports clubs of any sort it doesn't have to be football soccer basketball nep- whatever it is um even your chess clubs that sort of thing you yeah. know that it calls for so it's such a strong sort of vehicle to be accessed mm. for us mm. um because so many people are connected to it and as you said it's you could do a presentation to 200 people one person it hits home with mm-hmm. but i guarantee you that 90% of the people in there, either themselves or someone in their family or friends, is being challenged by mental mental right. health. So, you know, if you say we can save one person, we've done our job, but it's not our job to save one person. It is our job to save, it's not my job or Love Me Love You's job, it's everyone's job to save mm. each other and make sure we're all good. In today's, today's era of football, the amount of support they have and do you still find, I mean, I'm sure you get anonymous phone calls from particular athletes, Yep. They're still uncomfortable to come out to the officials at Clubland because they think it may risk their future because they may be too much to handle. Is that still the no, case? Or not I don't or? think so. Any, not as much anymore. So it's just, but it's just like football. Football clubs have changed with their culture. Um, it's just like society's changed in the culture and how we're dealing with it mm. a lot better. We do have contact with some guys here and there, and and girls that we um that contact us around in their sporting career that they're going through the challenges. The systems that are set up in clubs these days, they are that well resourced to be able to deal with and recognise certain issues from all the players. There's more staff than players off field at clubs these days. So that helps them in a position. They do try to keep it in-house because it is a private thing and people like to keep it private, which is fine. But for us, it's having those people then go, okay, I'm dealing with it at the moment the more public they can recognise it, it's going to help them. Yes. But there's still a stigma around it that it is embarrassing to have. It is a weak sign of weakness. It's not something that is going to help you as a sports person moving forward to get the best out of yourself. But you'll find the ones that do then speak about it in a public aspect, you can see the weights lifted off their shoulders and they become Mm. so much more sort of embracing of who they are as a person, which then rounds themselves out as as sports people. But it is a hard one to still do Mm. as a sports person at the time because Mm. you do want to keep it private because your your life is so public. But if we had more doing it, the more people in public would be doing it as well. So it's just just a further-ending battle that we're going to have. As a, say an eighteen to twenty year old Lance Pacioni, you you are having issues. Maybe a twenty two, twenty three, whatever it is. If you had the same support fifteen years ago than what you or twenty years ago than that is available now, do you feel it would have been um, 
diagnosed or uh, seen and then your course would have changed? Who knows? Yeah. yeah like, possibly. Mm. You, you never know. You know, I would have gone on, played 300 games, and I would have recognised my issues earlier and would have yeah, won, won, won me 10 brown lows and done all that, you know? So And four flags. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one to say the old could have been and what, what might have been back in the day. If it had been today in terms of public knowledge around it, mm. obviously I would have been doing a lot things a lot differently again in terms of my off-field um, sort of uh, actions and what I was doing there. So that was obviously wasn't helping my mental health issues. So today would have been a lot different, but it was 20 years ago. So as I said, we've, so we've come so long, so we've come so far in terms of one's ability to deal with these challenges and it's sometimes it's just and it's a bit of it's a bit of luck involved at sports clubs mm. as well and like going from one club to the other different resources available but it's the type of resources and people that are there to brace what the culture is and what they're doing um, and you can go to another club that they don't have that type of person that you need but that's just as I said sometimes it's just luck so your foundation is raising awareness to enable youth to get back to school, back to sport, back to life. Yep. Specifically, getting back to sport, for instance, how does that affect your, someone's mental uh, uh, situation? Uh, just back about the sports clubs and what that does to people is it's a big part of the well-being stuff that we do. Engaging, and it, and that sort of that motto that we got there, it's all about re-engaging, just engaging with the things that make you good as a person and who you are. So, you know, we talk about getting it back to school. A lot of kids get, you know, in terms of dealing with their mental health issues, disengage from the schooling, mm. whatever it might be, whether it be at high school or their tertiary, whatever sort of level of education that they're doing at the time. But re-engaging something positive for them to go, okay, well, I need, to, I need to be getting into this and making sure that I'm getting the best out of it to make sure that I can get moving forward. And it's the same as sport. The ring, just engaging with some sort of sport or physical activity to say, okay, this is actually benefiting me, and this is going to benefit my mental health or benefit my life as a just as a norm. And it's not for everyone. Mm. Sports not for everyone, yep, and yep. we get that, and and that's okay. But when I say around sport, it's just activities with people. Yes, activities not just by yourself, isolating yourself and withdrawing yourself from everything. It's about battery, just engaging activities with people. And that's it's shown the positive effects that it has on your, your well-being and your health moving forward. And back to life, it's just engaging with life again. And that's what it is. And it's just pretty simple structures that, and strategies that we say, okay, get back to the things that you're doing and that you love and that embraces you to be the best. You know, for me, I had to say I had to do, get back into the things that embraced the best Lance Pacioni. So that's what we try to do. It's a lot harder when you're dealing with it at the time, 100%, mm. at big time, and because you, you can't see it, because you can't see the colourful picture that life is and what it is all about. So it's that dark, gloomy picture that you're dealing with. But as soon as you take that first step to re-engage with the things that you love and keep doing them in a positive direction, that picture starts ch changing from black and white mm -hmm. to a little bit of colour. Then that first step's the hardest, got to keep going through it. So just for our listeners, it's not a matter of turns out you get better and that's it. You've got no more battles or anything like that. There are actual constant coping mechanisms that you uh, have educated yourself on how to handle yep. and uh, continue in yeah, today's yeah, life. Yeah, definitely. So. It's, it's, 
you almost you become a project management yep. sort of thing. It's, it's a big thing. So your life is a project in, yep. in understanding what it is that benefits you and how it is. And so for myself, you know, like my physical activity that I need to I need to do is not for anybody else. It's for me. Mm. And it gives me my time out. It gives me my ability to say, okay, I'm feeling good. So then that controls through my nutrition stuff. But then it allows me to be the best husband and dad that I could be mm. and friend and worker and whatever it is because that's my big thing. So you know, we look at triggers of understanding. People go, oh, that's a trigger and so I'm going to stay away from it. But it's not so much staying away from it and avoiding a situation but your interpretation of what that trigger is going to do to you and say, okay, well, it's not that I'm going to avoid you, but I'm not going to let you be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, I don't drink. Mm. And very, 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 very rarely drink. Like I couldn't tell you how many times um, it'd be under a handful in the last five, six years that I've had, had alcoholic drinks. So, um, but that's for me something I need to understand that moving forward, Having a beer here and there is not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. But getting pissed and then making wrong decisions and choices is going to possibly end up wrong. <laughs> yeah. So you're aware that, that it may take you on a, on a spiral yep. if you go, if you have that one, just that one too many may. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, but that's just me. Yep. That's just how I need to deal with it because of the life that was. So, um, but. I understand what triggers make me happy. I don't avoid the triggers that are going to sort of have a negative effect on my life, but I understand what triggers actually put a positive effect on my life. My physical activity stuff and training and walking and, you know, going for a, a kick of the footy and doing all these sorts of things is positive effects for me. Hanging out with my friends on a for a breakfast is a positive effect for me, mm. not hanging around friends and sitting in a house and getting wasted. It's mm-hmm. definitely not a positive effect, mm. not for anybody. Mm. But not shying away from it and everyone's interpretation is different and how they're going to deal with it and what positive effect that it's going to have on them and what negative effect it could have on them. Um, but, you know, it's up to that person as well. So uh, another positive effect, no doubt, would be starting your foundation. Yeah, you, it's you started been huge, Sam. 2013, you started the foundation. Yep. Just for start, how did the name come about? Love me, love you. Yeah, well, your <laughs> workshop a quite funny. It was, it was me. Like, it's funny when you. So I had a I had a fair fair few years of sort of cloudy mind. Yes, I'm gonna say. So when I um when I stopped partying and doing those the things that weren't of positive effect, I um it's it's amazing the 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 what the brain wanted to do and all the thoughts and everything that was coming through my head and like you know I was having sleepless nights just because my brain was thinking yes yeah so i was numb for a long period of time and i did a lot of self sort of you know soul searching sort of thing where i was at and you know i was i was reading buddhism books and i was doing and i was just researching everything in terms of what possibly i can do to make myself better um but feel better for me not for anybody else i wasn't worried about feeling better for other people because i needed to concentrate on who i was and i and and it's just and the name come from just that if I can't love myself, I can't love you. I yep. can't love other people. And other people can't embrace the love that they want to give me if I don't love who I am as a person. And it's not a, a conceited way in doing that and saying I love myself. You know, I say it all the time that I do. I love myself as a person. 
and who I am today and my ability to do. So, and that's where it comes about. Better than a Lance that loves himself than not. Well, the Lance that played AFL loved himself, but yeah. not the right way. Okay. <laughs> You're bit with the business, as fundraising as a business. Yep. There's a lot of fundraise, fundraising organisations out there. Yep. It must be an absolute killer trying to get your name out there yep. above everybody else's. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it is. But when we started this four years ago, we, we had a vision of what we wanted to do. So the walk that we do is a massive point of difference of embracing not just the fundraising part of it. If you build an army and you build an army of supporters and members that are touched by the cause and what you do as an organisation, it'll come. The fundraising stuff will come. So then that gives us the ability to, to carry out our mission going to schools and sports clubs and helping with treatment programs and making sure that people are aware of the, um, the, the mental health issues in the in community. So the, if, you, if you have the vision and you do everything right to put that vision into play, it will come. There is, there is there's, there's thousands of charities doing their thing, all, claim, all trying to claim a public dollar, and we get it. But there is people, different people attached to different causes. So some people, you know, it's, but we're also, like I'm also affected by um, breast cancer. My mum had breast cancer. But there's all unbelievable organisations that are doing unbelievable things in that area. I get it. So different people are attached to what that is. So many more people these days are now being touched by mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for, we'll talk about mental health issues in the end result that the tragic part of it is that the suicide is linked with, highly linked with, um, with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. There's three times the amount of people lost their lives to suicide in 2015 than road toll, road accidents. That's a massive number. Mm-hmm. So some of the 3,027 in 2015 lost their life to suicide. That were reported. Mm-hmm. So it's probably double that, that, that unreported incidents mm-hmm. and other... Mm-hmm. In, it's, it's a hard one we do, but as I said, we're building an army and we're building an army of voices and giving the voices to people to have the conversation back in their community, back in their fa- at their family table, at their school, at their workplace, at their sports club, so that that number of suicides is, decreases. And that's our goal. So you're talking about building an army because in 2014 you decided to start with a march with me yep. and you went from Sydney to Melbourne. Yep. Now I'm just thinking because you haven't gone Sydney to Melbourne again. Nah, it's, never again. <laughs> someone actually pull you up and say, listen, Lance, you're building this army, you're trying to kill them. What, yeah, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, this is quite well, a hike. It's, uh, um, <laughs> it was just, I needed to make a statement. That first one needed to be a statement. And um, and I think it's I think it's embraced, but it wasn't so much the statement for the foundation. It was the statement for me. I need to make that statement to myself that like living with depression Everything is of a negative effect and to know, like the question, every question you ask yourself you put yourself, or every situation you put yourself in, it's, it's not positive. So, you know, my football career, positive to a point, but at the same time, I played for three clubs. So there's a lot of no's in there. Mm. I should have been a one, mm. should, you aim to be a one club player. Or, anyway, but then my five years after footy, I just, it was a no. That whole five and a half years after football that I finished before I went to seat help is, was just an absolute no. Mm-hmm. And I was sick and tired of the no's in my life. But then I dislocated my knee, um, you know, at, at my night at footy training. 
and um, had to wrap the patella off the bone and did all these things and I had to have emergency surgery, put it all together and then I had infections and I nearly lost my leg. Wow. So once again, doctor said no exercise, you know, to a point. Um, you know, walk with a limp and this is all going to happen and I, I was just sick of it. I was just sick of the no and then my life got to a point where it crashed and that was that time where I, I, I nearly suicided in when I was uh, sort of 30 and a half years old, I remember, and then it was just like, nah, bring them back to yes in life and what am I going to do to make people and myself understand that everything in life is positive if you want to make it into that position, yeah? yeah? So I thought of the stupidest thing I could do and that was to organise that Sydney to Melbourne. And I and don't no problems. Not a, not a walk around the tan or something like no, that. Or no, no, exactly. Park. Yeah, but it wasn't for everyone. As I said, yeah. it wasn't for everyone else. Mm. The walk from Sydney to Melbourne was for me to say, all these challenges that have come in life, smack them in the face and let's move forward. And and that sort of that was a brainchild of the foundation. I was a li- li- we were going to do the Sydney to Melbourne every year, and that's what we're going to do: raise funds for mental health. And yeah. we're going to, but it's just crazy, isn't it? So the actual uh, dollars organised on that one. How, how how did people get involved and actually donate on the way while you were walking yeah, or uh, uh, via we, website? How did we, they do that? We had we had about we had people join us for one or two days along the way, so mm. we put it out there. Just family, friends, network saying um, what we're doing, and then so we had it was about twenty five people joined that mm. about that. So but most of them come on the on the last day, the glory leg, mm-hmm. so they can get in the, uh, get in the photo. You know how it works. Yeah. Um, so and, but they did their fundraising. We had sponsors. We did a lot. You know treadmill challenges. We did all these sorts of things to raise money, and we. I think we raised something like sixty thousand dollars that year, which okay. was just amazing. For our first one, people didn't like love me, love you. hadn't really done it. hadn't mm. hadn't done anything. Mm. Not really. hadn't done anything. So we were sort of we were selling a a, a vision to people to say this is what it is, and, and a lot of people were touched by what we were doing, you know. But then that's just gone. It's just gone berserk since then. So in terms of all you know the annual event that we carry now. So the first event, did you actually start like any business plan with an idea or a target of how much you would like to raise, nah, or you just? Uh, it was a hope and see at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we needed to cover costs and make a statement. And that mm-hmm. was the thing, and knowing that because we we have programs in place that we wanted to put into schools and sports clubs, but people that aren't access or can't get involved with you unless they know who you are. So yeah, we were selling the, selling the hope to. You know, supporters, sponsors, and saying, but it's amazing how many people wanted to get involved at that point because everyone's been touched by it, and that was the and that's the cause that it's, it's attached to. So people are different, but it's just sort of it's allowed us to sort of grow our army and march with me. It's in March we march together, and yes. we and that's what we're doing life. So so we're going to discuss the march with me that's coming up. But yep. I was going to say as well, the people don't realise the money involved in actually promoting your charities as well is that correct you spend uh, a lot huge. of money yeah on? it's huge just to operate as an organization it's yep. massive yeah you know people just say oh it's a walk and see you at the start and i'll see you at the fin- at mm. the end at the end but the, to the exposure because we're an awareness organization mm. the exposure is our biggest thing of what our cause is about and what love me love you is about so the the operational costs for an organization for the events for everything that comes through it's it's not ten bucks. It's not twenty bucks. Mm. It's, it takes a, it takes a lot, and mm. there's only so much. There's only so much people will give for free. Yeah, 
yeah. It's hard because enough for them to it, share on your Facebook lens. Hundred percent, yeah. Like, you know, and then talk about talking about before about the the hard fundraising dollar because there's so many charities doing their certain things. To come to the walk and say, okay, an organisation you ask for an organisation for something for free, they've been asked a hundred times yeah. already. Yeah. So it's a little bit there's that social responsibility that they need to take into play. But if they're giving away everything for free, they're not making any money. Yeah, yeah. So then that business, then that person will become a charity because they got no money. Mm, <laughs> so mm. it's, but it's what it is, and and it is, it is a business. Charities aren't all around volunteers and all around people doing everything for free. It's not how it works, mm. and it's not in today's not in today's society. Um, so you know we have we have a, a big list of volunteers that do a certain amount of work, but at the same time we need skilled, setted people. Yeah make sure that the work that needs to be done so that we get the greatest impact of the walk, get the greatest impact of our ride, greatest impact of our foundation to um, make sure that, you know, we are doing what we do at schools and sports clubs the right way. So then, you know, we might be saving lives. So that's the goal. Schools and sports clubs, what do they do? Do you approach them? Do they hear about you and say, can you come and talk to my students or my club members? How does that work? Uh, it's a bit of both, Sam. So it's, um, you know, a lot of the sports club stuff is, it gets a lot of connection because being an ex-AFL footballer and, and like our chairman, Luke Livingston, was an ex-AFL footballer. Mm-hmm. So, and our one of our other board members, Matt Pilios and um, Greg Bullock, been involved in sports clubs for such a big period of time. So we get a lot of referrals and, and um, sort of people reaching out to us to come and, and present to their clubs. Um, schools is a tricky one. We do get a lot of referrals and people contacting us, um, which which has been okay for now. But for us to keep have gr- understanding what our growth strategy is, um, you know, we, we get a big marketing campaign um, now is around getting to more schools, getting to more community groups and, and accessing them to say, okay, well, this is what it is. But it's not about just so we can get more dollars through the, you know, paying for services and mm-hmm. sort of stuff from them. It's not a hit and run session. We don't just go into the school and say, thanks very much for coming um, and then leave them with the issues that might come up. Yep. We try to build a campaign for them so that it is an awareness campaign over the school year. That we go and do the presentation. They, we help them with running like mini events at the school, so everyone's coming more aware of what's going on. So it's it's a hard battle, mm. and it is a competitive space. Yeah, no doubt. It, mental health and youth mental health is becoming a competitive space. But for us, we 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 put, we're putting a lot of importance this year on collaborating mm-hmm. and and supporting with other organisations because we as an organisation we are. We have a good ability statewide at this stage. You know, we have a lot of interest from interstate, but understanding the resources to be able to go and deliver that. Um, but there are organisations that are they're really community-based and doing great work in the community, but might just need that little bit more help. Yep. So that's what we're trying to reach out to for 2017 and moving forward, um, is collaborating with little organisations. We're a little organisation, mm. but there's organisations smaller than us. So... And as I said, and that just builds an army. Yes. Builds more and more of an army. So, so you're specifically looking uh, to assist uh, young adults, teenagers to their 20s because you have to find, I feel, you're niching. You, you can't take care of everybody. 
you can't. You try, you, but you try. But if you're trying to spread yourself too thin, yep. then you lose the 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 you lose where you're going. And mm. that, so, um, but at the same time, we we like you know the presentations last year and worked with um, like uh, uh, community groups for over men over sixties. The conversation is not just targeted at them. The conversation is for everyone. Our main demographic that we do work with is that 15 to 30, so young adult range. Um, but that's really, that sort of 15 to 30 is why, why we target at that range because of the sports club stuff that we do. And that's the sort of age bracket that at a senior level yes. um, is, is, that's where sort of the main demographic is there. Um, but the conversation is for everyone. Awareness thing that we do is for everyone. So this walk that we got coming up is, we got kids as young as eleven participating, and we got um, uh, men and women, elders, mid sixties participating either over the two days, one day, or the half day. Over three hundred people, then becoming the voice of love me, love you, and for us, it's been a biggest high five that there are these eleven year olds going. I want to do this or I want to walk 16Ks and I want to make sure that my school is so aware of what's going on around this mental health and the challenges that are coming through because at school, the, the, the rate of incidents at school around the mental health with the pressures and expectations and the bullying and the social media stuff, it's just rife mm. and it has to stop. Mm. And we've had enough, Sam. Like it's just a big time to say that we've had enough. Mm-hmm. But for the kids to go out and put themselves in a position to say, I want to make a difference, I'm going to stand up to it and say well, why they've had enough as well, it's just the biggest high five for the work that we do and the work that any organisation does in the mental health space because they're making it more aware. So that's great. So the March with me, the next one is March 4th and March the 5th. Now, yep. you've gone a little bit easier on your followers because you're not asking them to walk from Sydney to Melbourne, as we said. You're yeah. going from Port Sea. To Port Melbourne, yeah, over but two you're days. giving them options. Yeah, options. yeah, yeah. So yes. tell me. So we we last year we did a two day and one day option, and we just thought just opening it up because okay, so Port City to Port Melbourne, 116 kilometres. So we got 62 k's the first day, 54 k's the second day. For anybody that's walked over five k's, <laughs> you'll understand that that's a long, long way. Mm-hmm. But the the man, the mantra of the event is that no one travels their journey alone and that's what Love Me Love You is about and that's what the event is about and it encapsulates it so big because the challenges of actually walking that far over that period of time for the average person is monumental. Mm-hmm. It's a massive challenge. But we do it together and the support systems are there and embracing what a support system is through a challenge is what we try to do instill in our lives. Yeah, mm. we put these challenges through, but understanding what the support systems are around us to make sure it's all good. Um, yeah, and the one day, because 116, as I said, 116 kilometers, it's a long way, and there's a few crazy people out there that are loving the, the fact that it is a challenge, mm-hmm. um, and they'll lose toenails, and they'll get sore knees and backs, and, and my earlobes will be sore because they're all been chewing my ear off complaining about how far it is and where you know they're tired and they're sore and they lost a toenail halfway through lance you're still trying to recruit people man let's let's talk about the no, sunshine no. that they're going to experience oh, the nice weather the community spirit oh, i'll Sam. cut that other part out yeah yeah, yeah yeah cheers yeah, missing toenails yeah it's it's massive mate it, and once the, pe- the the emotion that you see on the people's faces when they cross the finish line that they've beaten it 
you know, we the, there's different reasons why people get involved. Yeah. So it ranges from people that just like a challenge. And there's people out there that just love challenges mm. and they see this as a massive challenge that they need to tick off their list. There's people that are doing it in memory of people they've lost to suicide. That's huge. You know, and the emotion that'll come from that and then saying, okay, I did this and I made a difference and I've got closure in this situation. It's massive. We've got a high number of people that are doing it for that reason. But there's also the people that are being affected by mental illness at this stage, at the current stage in life, or someone in their family or friends that they want to do it so that there's a recognition of they, that they care. Massive number of people like that. But then you get the people that just go, I want to make a difference. If I can walk 116 kilometers and I know that that's going to make a difference to people's lives, people they don't know, that's where the emotion comes. Mm. And, you know, we'll cross the finish line at Port Melbourne Footy Ground on the Sunday and there's possibly going to be 1,500 people at the finish line. So that's where we want people to come to embrace what the so that they can brace around what the foundation's about, what people have done to make a difference, what people are putting themselves through to say, okay, we care, but what are we going to do about it? So the people, um, you say it's a two-day event, they have a one-day option as well, just so yep. we're clear on that. The one-day event is the second day, which is Frankston to Port Melbourne. Yep. That's a 54-kilometre event. They also have a half-day event. So just in case someone's trying to weasel their way out of a lunch, you've got them for 16 k's. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. People, it's, so many people go, oh, I couldn't do that. It's too far. Well, 16 k's, it's still far. Sam. Yes, yes. But. Sandringham's a nice place to start. Beautiful though, place to start. Yes, you know? and gorgeous. We walk, we walk along the beach the whole yes. way where the sunshine will be and the beach, beach volleyballers will be out and everyone will be doing their thing. You There's can a stop, lot of thought stop, gone stop, into stop this. Stop for lattes and how it all works. And, but. What's going to be the most amazing thing is watching 300 people walk from... So that's where the 300 people will be. So we'll have 100, about 150 do the two days. Yep. There'll be another sort of 100 people sort of join us for the one day. But then the rest will join us for that half day. So there's about 70 odd join us for the half day. To watch 300 people in Love Me, Love You, March With Me tops, mm -hmm. walking down the beach, not on the sand because I hate sand, but walking along the beach, the statement that they will make, it's going to be nothing like you've ever seen before. People can walk around the town, you can do things like that all the time. And it's soft. like, yeah, okay, whatever. Ten soft. Please, whatever, 4Ks, whatever. Come on. Um, but the statement that this will make in that, you know, period, that, that distance, uh, that location, because on a Sunday, hopefully it's a nice day, there will be thousands of people down there looking at what it is. So it's awesome. So it's not as if you, people start and then there's a long snake of people walking. It's pretty much you're trying to keep the group together as best you can. As best you can, Sam. Yep. It's hard, mate. It's you got different people of all levels, as I said, from 11-year-olds to 63, 60, mm. you know, 60 mm. plus. It's you try and keep it together, but just the the just the law of how it works and yep. walking you through so that distance of 300 people there'll be a 4k that'll mm -hmm. be a 4k from start to finish that's a lot of people to walk through and that statement will be made for four kilometers yes for the whole of that part so um you know there's going to be people that are absolutely battling mm -hmm. and, and have to jump in the support vans at certain periods of time 
but it's about us making the statement and then finishing and crossing that line together. There's probably a few people that want to milk the finish too, just finish not with too many people so they get the round of applause to themselves. Is that possible? Get a round of applause, mate. Matty Pilios, maybe, no? Possibly, Matty Pilios. (laughs) For a guy that uh, he's such a good promoter of our organisation, he... He actually annoys a lot of people on the walk because he only does half of one of the days right. and he has done for all of our events. And he's so high-spirited and everything, he's pumped and everything going. And then people that have walked, they're on, the, they're on their second day. They don't want that high spirit and annoying person in their ear. <laughs> nah, and then he gets it and then he leaves halfway through. So no, he does, he's okay. all happy days. <laughs> Does he actually go to Port Melbourne? Does he get to Port Melbourne, Matty Pilios? He gets to the Port Melbourne, but he he's a big part of our promotion at the end. So the finish line is is super important. So he's the man that will keep everyone together at the finish line. Very nice. Yeah. Now, you also have a couple of groups that have spun off from uh, your events. You not only do walks, you do rides as well. Yep. You've ridden from um, uh, Warrnambool in the past. Right, and you've had uh, that was back in 2015, and then you have a spin off cycling team, yep, for instance. So, when you say we ride, I don't ride, you don't ride, no, no, I'm not really good in lycra and bike seats for extended periods of time. I still don't see there's an excuse, yeah, no, not for me. Well, it's yeah, horses, of course. I walk, mate. (laughs) Um, yeah, we 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 had a couple of guys come to me, a couple of my mates come to me a couple years ago and said, Can we do a riding version? and I'd never thought of it just really because I'm not a cyclist and that wasn't my thing. But he said, do it. We, we got it and we got people that want to do it and we're going to go it. And so we, um, we got Shane Kelly as the ambassador, you know, superstar yes. cyclist from, of course. you know, one of Australia's best ever. So he, um, he came on as the ambassador. We had about 25 riders that went from Warrnambool to Melbourne in 2015. Um, last year, 2016, we did a 330k bike ride where we had 60 plus cyclists do that over two days um but the end product of all that has been that ability these same two guys same two mates of mine russell lee and dave rigney they come about and just said can we start we're going to start an amateur cycling team and we're going to be we want to be partnered with you because our mantra is they're called the knights of suburbia and our their mantra is fighting mental health mental illness in the community unbelievable and they're now at 100 plus members that do all the crit races and road cycling and do all these sorts of things and they're growing and that's only been in a 12 month period um they do and they brand the organization love me love you unbelievably and they and they represent um with the greatest pride that they're riding for a cause which is huge and they're changing that they're changing the culture around how people in that cycling world because you being a cyclist, Sam, you know the cycling world and how many people are out on bikes doing their thing, that they're embracing what a conversation needs to be mm. and a conversation around mental illness because cycling, from what I heard from the guys, is such a great way of just engaging mm-hmm. with your fellow cyclists, being around, getting that fitness and health aspect out of it as well. But... Most people can cycle. Yes. A lot of people don't like Lycra, which is all good. A lot of people don't like sitting on seats for that long, which is all good. But it is changing the culture in the cycling community and more and more people are wanting to get involved in the Knights of Suburbia, which we're loving because then it then again builds that army of people to go, all right, 
we need to do something about this. So the Knights of Suburbia, again, on your website, they can find out more information? on More on the website. Them. You can check them out on the Facebook and Instagram. They're all over that. There's, um, yeah, so and you know, we, now we now have members, the guys have um, members from interstate wanting to join as well, seeing, and, and it is because they ride for a reason. You can join any cycling team around Australia that are not really linked to a cause, but Knights of Suburbia, their sole purpose is to recruit the people to make sure that in the community we're doing something about mental illness. So is there an event for the cyclists to come up for Love So you, ride, love you? ride With Me will be in October. Ride With Me. Uh, keep posted for that. The, the route for that hasn't been um, hasn't been finalised as yet. Lazy 500Ks or oh, something. Yeah, there'd be between three and 400 over two, over a couple of days. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we, we hope to have 100 plus do that this year. Um, which you know the recruiting for that's going to be pretty intense um, because it's it's not so much not for the everyday person, but it's a massive challenge. Mm-hmm. Same as March of me, mm-hmm. walking 116 kilometers is, is not a not for the average person. It's for the person that wants to put a challenge to themselves to do something so that they they can feel that they're making a difference. So you've taken care of the walkers. You got you're looking after the cyclists. The runners are probably screaming, saying, Lance, why don't you put something on with me? Is there something for the runners? The run the with me? The run with me, there is a pipeline. There is. But not just yet. Okay. We we, we lose a lot of people that don't want to do the walk. They want to cover the distance. And they go, can I run it? So people want to do the, the yes. march with me. And they go, can I run it? Well, no. Okay. okay. <laughs> because it is all about doing it together. Yes. The, the difference in people's ability to walk might be half a kilometre, a kilometre an hour difference, yep. which is, we work it out. But people's ability to run is a lot different. Yes, okay. So, and, it, it, but whether we just do a maybe a hundred metre sprint, Sammy, which would be right up your alley, I reckon. hundred metres, I'm up for that. hundred metres, yeah. I'll overpay yeah. an entry <laughs> fee for a hundred metre run. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> swimmers, Lance? No nice swimmers, mate. No, no, nah, I don't think swimming's. Uh, it's you can't have, you can't talk while you're swimming. Okay. okay, and that's what it's about. It's also about creating that conversation with the people. So we've taken care of everything that's putting people out there, getting active, talking about it. So can they still register for the march with me? Registrations for march with me have closed. Oh, I apologise for that, but it's um just logistically to organise. If it was a walk around the ten, you can register on the day, but. Apparel and logistics and food and everything that goes into it, it's not just a walk. We're, we're having to feed 300 people over two days. We're having to accommodate. We're having to put them in them love me, love you, march with me yeah, kits and hats and stuff. So, But be sure that moving forward in after the walk, there will be monthly walks that happen from um, the Shrine of Remembrance and it'll be the first Sunday of every month that we, you know, if people want to come along and it'll be like an eight o'clock start. And that's the same thing. It's all about... Building that a hummy. Is that a, is that the March with Me group or is yep. that something else? Yep. So which will be on the which is on the uh, on the website. Yes. So check that out there. How that works. It's um, bringing family and friends along and nice gentle walk around the tan nice. or along the shrine or along the um, down south bank there and it's a it's a nice leisurely walk. They got to start somewhere, Lance. Got to start somewhere. Got to build that up to 116 k's. Then you get into their head and from yeah. four k's to four, forty to forty, then 116. <laughs> then we then we walk to Adelaide. Then we're done. <laughs> Don't tell me that's on the cards, no, Lance. No, 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 no. no, no.
So um, no doubt they still I'll be got. Di- I'll be divorced, Sam. Ah, for right. Okay. Away for that long again. Donate. It's never too late to donate. Never, never too late to donate. So everything you can find or you want to know about the, the foundation and how to donate, how you get involved, you got to check out the website at lovemeloveyou.org.au. Um, you know, we have so many projects and so many sessions and presentations that are available to schools and sports clubs, all our events, um, memberships, all these sorts of things about getting involved. We're always looking for more volunteers that are, are willing to sort of get involved to keep help spread the word the love me love you word in their community um we're not stupid we're not reaching everybody that we want to reach mm-hmm. but we need the people in their community to say okay i want to do something here and it is them reaching out and, and organizing stuff at schools or community groups or their sports club so contact us because it's um you know we need your help as much as as, as anything that we're doing you know so it's all good so even if uh, there are a group of runners that wanted to put their own event and be branded, you're happy to speak 100%. to them? 100%. We, um, we create your own event is a big thing for us. Okay. It's a big thing for us. So, you know, we've got other cyclists wanting to do their own little cycling events or corporate golf days. There's those sorts of things. Having a sausage sizzle, these sorts of things. It's just... We're raising awareness. It's all awareness. It's all branding to the cause, which then creates a conversation, and that's what it's about. And even the swimmers. Swim with me if you want, but not with me <laughs> particularly. No, jump off a pier or something, you know, just we'll for a do bit, that. Do just a couple of bombs. Yeah, Lance, <laughs> thank you very, very much. I appreciate your That's time. Been a pleasure, if Sam. People want to come. And, this is going to be out before the actual march with me. Beautiful. So if they want to meet, the best thing they could do is number one, give money. That's important. It is, but it's not the be all and end all. Still, let's go. We'd appreciate. I'll ask money for you. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I can imagine you guys always always asking. We don't want to become to that position where people are avoiding us on the street because they know we're going to ask them for money. How can they be part of if the registrations are now closed? But what's the best way to be part apart from giving money on March with me in March, March fourth, March fifth? So the best way, way, obviously, just follow us on uh, Facebook because it'll be constant updates of where we are, Mm -hmm. and it's about sort of getting that cheer along as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, seeing the seeing the guys and girls walk along the street to say, you know, give them a high five along the way, which Mm -hmm. is great coming out from your house or wherever you might be. Um, But get down on the um, on Sunday the fifth of March at uh, Port Melbourne. There'll be uh, AFL pop up clinics. There'll be sausage sizzles. There'll be other entertainment there. You know, bring a blanket. Bring the family and friends, get down there. The gates will open about uh, 2 o'clock, uh, about 2 o'clock. And then we'll get in there and, and embrace what it's all about. And as I said, create that voice and that movement moving forward. So if you've missed out on registering, you still have the opportunity to, number one, give money, as well as be part of the Sunday, the 5th of March, from 2 o'clock at Port Melbourne Football Grounds. Yep. So get involved, get down there. And help uh, the mission. If there's anything you need to remember, Sam, it's yes. love me, love you, mate. That's it. Thank you, Lance. Thanks for, for having me. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Cheers. Thank you. Done. Thanks, Lance. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. Love Me Love You delivers interactive and engaging programs that educate participants on the importance of good mental health. The programs are designed to empower young adults to get back to school, back to sport back to life. For more information, go to lovemeloveyou.org.au. That's lovemeloveyou.org.au. For further information regarding this podcast, go to exceptionalpeople.com.au. There you will find past episodes, links to our social media platforms, 
our contact details, as well as a link to iTunes if you wanted to subscribe, rate, or even be kind enough to give us a review. That's exceptionalpeople.com.au for anything to do with this podcast. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.